We're, uh, from Alcoholics Anonymous. What's your name? Well, we're anonymous. If I may be so blunt, who gives a shit? Thanks for your support. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am Gamer Dude. Thanks for stopping by for another episode of Storytime. This week, I'm doing another episode of what I call Random Musings. I did one of these earlier, and I'm doing another one because what happens is, as I come up with the topics for the various episodes of Storytime, and I think about the things that I'm going to talk about each week, I come up with these random memories of things that have happened to me, or things that I remember, or things that I grew up with, that really don't fit any particular theme or topic that I want to talk about. So I jot them down and I make a list of things that I figure I can fit into an episode somewhere along the line. And as the weeks go on, nothing matches these little memories that pop up. But I want to preserve them and I want to share them with you because all of the things that we go through in our lives form the person that we are today. And I don't know how these weird little things factor into the kind of person that I am, but they're there. They pop out at weird times. So I figure I may as well tell the stories about them. Someday after I'm long gone, somebody will go through these episodes and go, Oh, that's why he was so crazy. Or maybe not. But anyway, these are some more random musings about Gamer Dude's life. One of the truly random memories that I have is crawling around in a giant gravel pit. I know, it sounds weird, right? I don't know where it comes from exactly, and I don't remember exactly where the gravel pit was. And I say gravel pit because I don't know how else to describe the area. But I remember as a kid, climbing on these giant piles of stones. Now, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I don't remember whether this was when we were living in upstate New York or whether we were in New Jersey. But I remember there was this, for lack of a better term, quarry, where they had giant piles of sand and giant piles of stone. And I remember my dad taking at least me there, I think my sister was there as well, to go play in this quarry. Now, there was nobody else there. There were no other vehicles. There was no business going on. There were no trucks in and out of the place. I can only remember that the piles of rocks were as tall as I could see. And I remember my dad just saying, go play. And there was something cool about looking up at this giant pile of rocks and being able to climb it. Now, I couldn't have been more than four, five, six years old, somewhere in that range. So any giant pile of rocks would have looked huge to me. The pile of rocks could have been six feet tall. But my memory of it is it was enormous. It was like the Mount Everest of rocks. I just have this vivid memory of rocks going on endlessly into the sky and climbing that pile and the rocks slipping down and falling behind me and the object was to get to the top of the pile of rocks. And I don't remember why it was such a thing with me, but I had to get to the top of the pile of rocks. I had to get there. And I remember getting there and it felt like I was king of the world. And I remember going back to this place two or three times. And the vivid memory I have of the aftermath of that is that going home and getting changed out of my dirty play clothes, because we had play clothes, taking off my pants and in the cuffs of the pants were rocks from the pile of rocks. And I pulled those rocks out of the cuffs and I put them in a little box and I saved them because it was so cool to me to have a memento of my triumph of the pile of rocks. I don't know why that stuck with me, but that's one of those things that's in the back of your head. Another memory from when I was a kid, and this was not just a single instance. This was something that was an ongoing thing as I was growing up. I remember any time we went out as a family, we would be walking along wherever. 
And my mom would sometimes drop behind and walk behind me. And I have this memory of mom calling out from behind me saying, keep your foot straight. Don't turn your foot in. Keep your foot straight. And it was so annoying to me at the time. Because when I was growing up, I apparently was slightly pigeon-toed on the left side. So I would walk with a normal step with the right foot, but my left foot would turn in. And for whatever reason, this was something that bothered my mother. I understand now she wanted me to walk straight and not have problems with my feet or my ankles or whatever it was. And I'm grateful now that I walk with two feet going in the same direction. But boy, oh boy, she was nagging me, nagging me, nagging me. I considered it nagging. I mean, I was a kid. Mom's behind me going, keep your foot straight, keep your foot straight. And all I wanted to do was say, Mom, please, for the love of God, shut up. I never did, of course. But as an adult, I'm grateful that she did it. But as a kid, oh my God, it was so annoying. The other annoying mom thing was, make sure you wear your hat every time we went out of the house. It could be 75 degrees outside. Make sure you wear a hat. I hated wearing hats as a kid. Partly because mom was telling me to do it. That was the little rebel in me. Oh, mom wants me to do it? Well, I'm certainly not going to do it. But partly because it always messed up my hair. I was very self-conscious of my hair. I know that sounds funny now. As you know, I'm clean-shaven from the neck up these days. But there was a time where I had hair and I was worried about it. Because there's nothing worse than hat head, is there? Especially when I was growing up and my hair was longer and then you mat it down with whatever hat mom was making you wear and you looked like, well, you looked like you had hat head. And it just wasn't a good look. I mean, I wasn't much to look at to begin with, but then you throw hat head in the mix? <laughs> but oh my God, how many fights we had. Make sure you wear a hat. Mom, it's not that cold out. I don't need a hat. You put a hat on, mister. And it would always be putting on a hat until you got out of sight of the house, taking it off and putting it in your book bag or in your pocket, or finding some way to stow it somewhere so you didn't have to wear the hat. You were always trying to get away from having to wear that hat. Between hats and gloves, there was always a fight. Because we didn't have gloves as kids either. We always had mittens. I've mentioned the mittens that my aunt knitted for me years ago. Which, by the way, I still have. They are the best mittens ever. But as a kid, I wanted gloves. The other kids had gloves. It was easier to make snowballs with gloves. But we only got mittens. Probably because they were easier to fit. One size fits all with mittens. But as a kid, I never wanted to wear my mittens. Partly because you couldn't make snowballs with them. But also, just like the hat. Mom was telling me to do it, so I obviously didn't want to do it. So yeah, Mom was always good with the hats and mittens warnings. Do you have your gloves? She called them gloves. They were mittens, but she called them gloves. And where's your hat? How many times I heard that from the front porch. <laughs> oh my God. As I've mentioned in other episodes, a lot of things in my life when I was growing up circled around or centered on things related to reading and books. Reading and books were hugely important to me, and I read pretty much everything that I could get my hands on. We would go to the dentist's office, and he would always have Highlights Magazine in the magazine rack. Do you remember Highlights Magazine? That's the one with the little puzzles and the word finds and all different kinds of things specifically designed for kids. So he had a section of the magazine rack for the kids. And so I would devour that when we'd go to the dentist's office, so much so that my parents got me a subscription to Highlights Magazine. And I couldn't wait for Highlights Magazine to come out every month. Now, as I got older, I discovered other magazines. I discovered Boy's Life Magazine in the library at school. Now, Boy's Life was kind of focused on the Boy Scout life or the Cub Scout life. 
They had a lot of outdoor stuff and a lot of stuff that's related to doing adventuring type things outdoors that I would never do in my life. But I found the stories fascinating and the things they talked about really interesting. And so my parents eventually got me a subscription to Boys Life magazine. And just like highlights, I devoured that magazine. Oh, Boys Life was so interesting to me. Now, as I sit here today, I can't remember a single article that I ever read in Boys Life. But boy, I remember reading Boys Life cover to cover every month when it came. And I saved them too. And then I'd go back and reread articles. It was just a really interesting magazine to me. So I collected Highlights magazine, I collected Boys Life magazine, and then the books. I've talked about them before, and I talk about them every time I get the chance to talk about the books that I read as a kid. The Hardy Boys books were so good. There was lots of other things out there. There was Tom Swift. There was the Bobsy Twins, which is what my mom grew up on. There was Nancy Drew, of course. But the Hardy Boys books, boy, those were my obsession. Now, I wish I remembered when I read my first Hardy Boys book. I was ten, nine. Somewhere in there. But the first Hardy Boys book was called The Tower Treasure. Oh, I loved that book. Frank and Joe. Frank Hardy and Joe Hardy, their father Fenton, the girlfriend Iola Morton, who is Chet Morton's sister, and that was Joe's girlfriend. And then Callie Shaw was Frank's girlfriend. Yeah, that's all off the top of my head. That's how much I read those books. They were locked in my head. Now, knowing my parents and knowing my dad the way I do, I'm sure the first Hardy Boys book came into the house by way of an auction or a garage sale. And so I'm sure that I read it that way, pulling it out of a box of goodies that my dad got at an auction somewhere. But as I looked at the spine of the book, I saw a number one on it. That was new to me. I'd read books before, but I didn't realize that there were books that were series of books. And slowly but surely, the Hardy Boys books would start showing up in auction boxes. My dad would be on the prowl at auctions and garage sales for whatever Hardy Boys book he could find. Once he knew that I liked them, he would go out of his way to try to find them wherever he could find them. That was the thing about my dad. If he found out you liked something, you would have gifts for the rest of your life. He would find whatever was related to that, whether it was Hardy Boys books for me, art stuff for my mom, music stuff for my mom, whatever it was, my dad would find it, lock into it, and you would get gifts related to that forever. So once he discovered my love for the Hardy Boys books, boy, they came in week after week. And I discovered that there was something like 65 books in the series. 65 books. So my goal became, get them all. It was like Pokemon. Gotta get them all. The problem with the books coming up in auction boxes is you never knew which ones you were going to get. You might get volume 2, 7, and 9. So if my dad saw the Hardy Boys books, he would just grab whatever was there and then we'd sort through and see which ones I didn't have. One of the other problems was... The Hardy Boys books had been printing for years and years. They started printing in the early 1900s, and they'd gone through rewrites and modifications and updating since then. But if you were at auctions or garage sales during the time that I was growing up, you would find a mix of the different books, some from the current era, some from the previous era, and some dating as far back as the 1920s. So some of the books that I had had copyright dates of like 1928, and those books had a very different look to the current books, or I should say to the then-current books. The books that I had when I was growing up that were the new books were hardcover books with the picture right on the cover. The older books had kind of a hardcover with one of those paper slip covers over it. So the pictures were different. The volume count wasn't always on the binding. 
So I wasn't sure how whatever book I was getting fit into the series until you open the flap and see the list of books and you'd see where your book fell in the series of books. And back in the 1920s, they only had 20 or 30 volumes. They kept adding volumes to the series as the series continued to grow. So by the time I started collecting, there were 65 books in the series. By the way, nowadays you can go to the store or on Amazon and you can find even more Hardy Boys books and revamped Hardy Boys books and rebooted Hardy Boys books. But when I was a kid, I'm talking about the original 1920s to 1960s run of the series. Those were my obsession and I had to get them all. By the way, I was very disappointed at the TV series that came out in the 70s. They had a Hardy Boys TV series on television back in, uh, I want to say, the mid-70s. And they would split weeks. One week it would be the Hardy Boys, one week it would be Nancy Drew. I actually loved Nancy Drew because Pamela Sue Martin played Nancy Drew, and she was the bomb back in the 70s. So I would actually watch Nancy Drew. The Hardy Boys annoyed me because I hated the casting. And that's the risk anytime you cast people from a book in a TV show or movie, if you don't match what the people think the characters should look like, you're going to lose half your audience. And that's what the TV show did for me. I couldn't stand the show because I hated the casting. They cast a guy named Parker Stevenson as Frank Hardy. And he was just, he was just not Frank Hardy. And you can look these folks up if you want to Google them. He was just not Frank Hardy. But then they cast Sean Cassidy as his brother, Joe. Sean Cassidy? Seriously? By the way, in case you didn't know or don't remember, Sean Cassidy was the brother of David Cassidy, a singer trying to make a record career, and they cast him in this TV series. It would be like casting Justin Bieber as Harry Potter in a TV series. Oh, I was not happy with that. I always thought the Hardy Boys were more rough-and-tumble, tough-guy kind, but like with a softer edge. I'm not saying Frank and Joe were necessarily the jocks in the school, but they had something going on. Parker Stevenson and Sean Cassidy, for my taste, mm-mm, no, bad casting. That was like casting Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance from The Shining in the movie. Don't get me started on that. It just didn't work. One of the other random musings that I have from my childhood was my eternal quest for the Starsky shoes. I know I've talked about Starsky and Hutch in other episodes of the podcast. When I was growing up, Starsky and Hutch was my favorite TV show. And Starsky was my dude. I loved Starsky. I thought he was so cool. The Starsky and Hutch attitude is the attitude that I pictured for Frank and Joe in the Hardy Boys. Just to give you a comparison. Tough guys, but with hearts of gold. But Starsky was my dude. And I loved everything about Starsky. I loved the car. It was a 1977 Grand Torino. Candy apple red with a white racing stripe. No, I wasn't too obsessed. But one of the things I liked about Starsky was those shoes. He had these royal blue Adidas running shoes. And I knew they were Adidas because they had the three stripes. And I also knew that around the laces was white leather trim to match the three white leather stripes on the side of the royal blue racing shoe. Those shoes became my obsession when I was a kid. I had to have a pair of Starsky shoes. Now, little did I know that Adidas shoes back in the day were far more expensive than we had a budget for. And this was long before I was working on my own, so I couldn't afford them, and my parents couldn't afford them, and so I longed for Starsky shoes. And I would haunt the places that we'd go, Kmart, James Way, Caldors, all of the stores where we could get discount prices. I would look in their shoe departments trying to find the Starsky shoes, not knowing, because I was young. I didn't know how things worked. Not knowing that a pair of Adidas shoes would never show up in any of those stores. They would show up in Sears 
or JCPenney in their shoe departments, but there you had to pay like bust out retail. They were expensive. And my parents knew how much I wanted a pair of Starsky shoes, and God knows they did their best. They would go to Kmart, and my dad did get me a pair of, I guess you could call them, knockoff Starsky shoes. They were blue, but they were blue suede. They weren't running shoes. And they had four stripes, not three stripes, because they were knockoff Adidas, and there was no white around the shoelaces. And I know he tried, and I was very, very grateful, because I was always taught to be grateful for whatever gift anybody gave you. And I thanked them, but they just weren't the Starsky shoes. I did eventually get a job. The problem was, after I started working, after I could afford to go shop for myself, I had to buy other things, like gas for the car, tires, insurance. You know, the things that you have to worry about as you get closer and closer to adulthood. So even if I could have found the Starsky shoes, I couldn't have afforded them. So I put them out of my head, and I never wound up getting the Starsky shoes. It was the thing that I obsessed about as a kid. But I was never able to make it happen. I was never able to get those shoes. I never found the perfect pair of Starsky shoes. Weird the things we obsess about, isn't it? They did make a Starsky and Hutch movie, I want to say back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I didn't go see it because they were making a joke of Starsky and Hutch. And even though I was older, you don't make jokes about my childhood stuff. You just don't. But I kind of wish I'd paid a little closer attention because they revived the Starsky shoes for a very brief period of time when that movie came out. And had I been looking and paying attention, I could have gotten a pair of Starsky shoes. The exact ones with the three leather stripes and the white trim around the laces. They did revive them and I discovered this years later. And the Starsky shoes were out for a brief period of time. But I missed out. So twice I missed on getting my Starsky shoes. The follow-up to the Starsky Shoes story is this. And this is one of the reasons that I love Mrs. Gamer Dude so much. She learned of my obsession with the Starsky Shoes. And that woman went out and found a pair that was as close as you can get to Starsky Shoes these days. Because yes, I wore her out with the description. I had pictures. I showed her from the original TV series because yes, I do have it in box set. I showed her the shoes that I was talking about and I said, I've never been able to find them. So she went on a quest and she found a pair of royal blue Adidas running shoes with the three leather stripes on the side, just like Starsky had. They were almost exact duplicates of the shoe. The only thing missing was the white trim around the laces. And she gave them to me as a gift and she was so apologetic. It was so sweet. She was so sorry that they didn't have the ones with the leather around the laces. And I said, honey... Oh, don't worry. The fact that you found these is amazing. So I do have a pair of authentic Adidas, almost Starsky shoes that I wear and have been wearing for years as a tribute to my wife and as a memory from my childhood because I finally have my almost Starsky shoes. So there's some musings for you to chew on for another week. Thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. It means the world to me, and I can't thank you enough for all the support you show me every single week. Until next time, take care of yourself, and I'll see you when I see you.